Welcome to House of Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message from this past Sunday. For more information about other messages or events at House of Hope, visit www.ihope.today. All right, being that it's hunting season starting, big city lawyer went duck hunting in northern Alberta. He shot and dropped a bird and fell into a farmer's field on the other side of a fence. As the lawyer climbed over the fence, an elderly farmer drove up on his tractor and he asked him what he was doing. The litigator responded, I shot a duck and it fell in this field and now I'm going to retrieve it. The old farmer, old farmer Peter replied, this is my property and you are not coming over here. The indignant lawyer said, I'm one of the best trial lawyers in Canada. If you don't let me in to get that bird, I'll sue you and take everything you own. The old farmer smiled and said, apparently you don't know how we settle disputes here in Alberta. We settle small disagreements like this with the three-kick rule. The lawyer asked, what's the three-kick rule? The farmer replied, well, because the dispute occurs on my land, I get to go first. I kick you three times, then you kick me three times, and so on and back and forth until somebody gives up. The lawyer quickly thought about the proposed contest and decided that he could easily take the old codger. He agreed to abide by the local custom. The old farmer farmer slowly climbed down off of his tractor and walked up to the attorney. His first kick planted the toe of his heavy steel-toed work boot in the lawyer's groin and dropped him to his knees. His second kick to the midriff sent the lawyer's last meal gushing from his mouth. The lawyer was on all fours when the farmer's third kick to his rear end sent him face first into a fresh cow pie. Summoning every bit of his will and remaining strength, the lawyer very slowly managed to get to his feet. Wiping his face with the arm of his jacket, he said, Okay, you old fart, now it's my turn. The old farmer smiled and said, nah, I give up. You can have the duck. (laughs) And then finally, deer hunter asked his pastor if it was a sin to hunt on Sunday. From what I hear about your aim, said the pastor, it's a sin for you to hunt anytime. So they say, if you don't get anything, all you did is go for a good hike. Well, this morning, I want, to, um, I want to start a series, and the series will take as long as necessary. Could be, could be two, could be six, could be eight. We'll see how it goes. Um, but I realized, um, or I have been realizing, I'm still getting used to this thing. I've been realizing that there's a, quite a, a lot of new people who have come in to House of Hope, and, and um, one of the things that we want to do is kind of reiterate a little bit of who we are, what we do, what's the core values of the house. Um, and, you know, I, I stand up here on a weekly basis, and I say, okay, well, these, this is one of our core values, and they're like, well, what's that mean? And so I kind of want to start a series a little bit and, and describe um, for describe what our core values are. What, what, is that, what does it mean to have a core value? What does it mean to be walking in a kingdom culture? And, um, and these are terms that you may not, if you've been around us, you, you're familiar with. If you're not, if you not, haven't been with us for a while, 
or ongoing, these may be kind of new terms. So kingdom culture, what is a kingdom culture? Kingdom culture is basically the, the culture that, that is in heaven. And we are part of the kingdom of God. We are part of the, the kingdom that Jesus brought. When Jesus came to earth 2,000 plus years ago, he was carrying something. He was carrying um, the kingdom of his father. And the kingdom of the earth um, had longed for the kingdom of, of, of heaven, but they didn't know what it was. And so when Jesus showed up, he came proclaiming the kingdom of heaven. He came proclaiming and, and showing off everything that his father in heaven had. And so that's why 2,000 years later, saying, you know, as House of Hope, we want to have a kingdom culture, not a church culture, not a religion culture, but something that is echoing heaven. And are we perfect at it? Absolutely. Like we have nailed the corner of the market of the kingdom culture. I'm just kidding. No, we haven't. We're not perfect. We're not, a, we're not necessarily, when we talk about family, are we a functioning, high-functioning family? No, not yet. But our goal is to actually to become not a dysfunctional family, but a high-functioning family, and we're working it out. And in the last eight years of being with, in, as House of Hope has existed, you know, we've, we've worked out a lot of stuff. And we've, we've gone through a lot of valleys, and we've had a lot of mountaintops, and, and we've been like this. And we're learning, and we're part, it's part of our process, um, because we're not perfect. But one thing that is, is, is true for here is that we're not afraid to make mistakes, and we're not afraid to own up to, to our mistakes and correct them and continue on and move on. Because that's life, right? That's part of who we are as, as people. And it's just, it's likened to a, a father or mother with their young kids. You, you know, you don't discipline or you don't correct. You don't um, get angry. Sorry, you do discipline, you do correct, but you don't get angry when they fail to do something. And it's the same thing here. It's like, you know, like, hey, we, we, we live in feedback. We have, if something's not working, we talk about it. If Stuff like that. So I wanted to start off with the number one kind of a kingdom culture this morning, and I'm going to cover three areas. There's going to be a lot of scripture. I'm not going to read all the scriptures, but I will give you, um, for those of you who love to take notes, I will give you scripture references. I will read some, and we'll just go on. But I want to cover three areas, and then in the three areas, break them down into um, some subsections of just ways to understand. So this is not a three-point sermon. Don't get me wrong. I've got probably about 52 points in here, and I've got 35 minutes roughly to, to kind of take this plane up, fly it around the streets, around, or circle it around, and then crash land it really quick because that's what we do. So the three areas that we want to we cover, I want to cover this morning, is we wanna, I want to define the core value. What is the core value? And then, I, and then I want to look at what does this core value mean to me personally? What does this core value mean to us as a house? And then the area, um, the final area that we want to kind of delve into is things not to misunderstand or don't misunderstand what I'm saying because we follow this core value. So the first core value that we are looking at this morning is the goodness of God. It's something that you're going to hear about all the time. You walk into House of Hope, and you're going to hear us sing about God is good. We did it this morning. We're going to hear that God is in a good mood. We're going to hear that, that you know, it's, God is good all the time. And I want to look at where we get this from, because sometimes we are under the illusion that, well, God is good, but he's not in a good mood all the time. He, he's, you know, if you, did, have you read the Old Testament? Have you read... 
Job, like, have you read Exodus? He's not in a good mood. And, um, and for those of you, again, who have been here a while, we know that, that those times that it looks like that God is not in a good mood, he's actually responding to a covenant that he had signed with the people in question. And so that is not necessarily his nature. He was responding out of something that was set up that he, had, that he did. Okay? So the first one is that God describes himself as gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger, abounding in love. God is good, and by nature, he's in a good mood. That's just the bottom line. And that's found, um, there's a few scriptures in there. Psalm 103, 8 to 13. It says, Lord, you're so kind and tender-hearted to those who don't deserve it and so patient with people who fail you. Your love is like a flooding river overflowing its banks with kindness. You don't look at us only to find our faults just so that you can hold a grudge against us. You may discipline us for, your, for our many sins, but you never as much but never as much as we really deserve, nor do you get even with us for what we've done. Higher than the highest heavens, and how high is your tender mercy extends, greater than the grandeur of heaven above it is the, is the greatness of your loyal love, towering over all who fear you and bow down before you. Farther than from a sunrise to a sunset, that's how far you've removed our guilt from us. The same way a loving father feels towards his children but that's just a sample of your tender feelings towards us, your beloved children who live in awe of you. Now, I believe it was David that wrote this, and he was, he was highlighting and moving out into the ways that the Father actually had shown him in an old covenant way just how good that God was. And because David recorded this, and it's actually canon, it's in Scripture, it's an accurate portrayal of the character of the Father. It's, it's who he is. And, and it's, just, it's just amazing that we can see that the creator of the universe, the one that made everything, looks at us with this. And that sometimes that's so hard for us to grasp is that this is who he is and this is the, 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 these are the, the attributes that he thinks about us. That he, he's for us and not against us. Another, where's Andrew? <laughs> Wow. Sorry, no. Just, just leave it. All right. Thanks, Christy. All right. We're back on. Switch anyway. I'm not gonna. <laughs> For any of you who are watching live, you can tell we're live. All right. Where was I? So another scripture, Acts 14, 16 to 17, talks about this goodness of God. Zephaniah three seventeen. This is one of my, um, I have a lot of favorite scriptures, but Zephaniah three seventeen says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exalt over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. And if you don't know what that means, it, it basically means that God is up in heaven spinning around, jumping excitedly when he thinks of you. It's like we think of God sometimes as this old man with flowing beards and he's sitting up on this massive throne. And when we do something wrong, he just he kind of fires off a, 
uh, a thunderbolt or a lightning, depending on how he wants to get our attention. That's very much like the picture of Zeus, the Greek god. And, and it's like it does not have any place in our thoughts, in our, in our, in our mindsets of who God is. We, you know, God is not a doddering old man who is full of vengeance, throwing lightning bolts down at us. That is something we have to change our thinking about. But he's actually in heaven, and he's jumping, and he's excited. It, wow. Um, he's jumping and excited. He's, this big, he's a warrior. He's this, like this big warrior, and yet he doesn't care about how he looks. He's jumping and excited for us. He's jumping and excited and spinning for you. That's who God is. And it's like, wow. You know, when I first realized that, I was like, he does that over me? That's amazing. Psalm 104, Acts 17, 22 to 31 are two other verses that, that describe his, 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 himself as gracious and compassionate. The second attribute of this core value of the God is good is that the message, ministry, and sacrifice of Jesus perfectly reveal the nature of God as a good father. Someone said that if we look at Jesus, we can see the father because Jesus says, I only come to do the will of the father. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. And we for, sometimes we forget that. We go, oh, I like Jesus, but I can't, I, I don't know, I'm not so, I'm not so tight with, with the father. Because there's issues in our lives. We've had imperfect parents. We've had imperfect fathers that, that actually paint the way we see God. And my dad wasn't good, so why would God be good? Because, But we look at Jesus, and, and in John 3, 6, um, 3, 16 and 17, we see that this is a picture of the love of God has for us when he says, For this is how much God loved the world, that he gave his one and only, his unique son, as a gift Now, so now everyone who believes in him will never perish, but experience everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to judge and condemn the world, but to be its savior and rescue it. That's so good. And that's what Jesus was here for. He was on assignment from the father and to show the love of God, to show that the, the love and the goodness of the father. Hebrews 1, 2, and 3, it says, But to us, living in these last days... Now, the last days are not the end of the world, rapture, all that kind of stuff. The, the, the writer of Hebrews was referring to the end of the Old Covenant. They were living in the last days of the Old Covenant. And so the writer says, But we're living in these last days. God now speaks to us openly in the language of a son, the appointed heir of everything, for through him God created the panorama of all things and all time. The sun is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor, the exact expression of God's true nature, his mirror image. He holds the universe together and expands it by the mighty power of the spoken world. He accomplished for us the complete cleansing of sin and then took his seat on the highest throne at the right hand of the majestic one. Isn't that an amazing picture? And, you know, and when, when the author of Hebrews talks about the expansion of the mighty power of his spoken word, I mean, science has proven that our, our universe is expanding. And it's like the author didn't know anything about that back then. They didn't know. It's just like, but he it was just this, this, this amazing revelation that the author received from the Father about how good he is. And it's like it's expanding. It's, it's, 
Okay, folks, you're going to have to listen to the audio. We're just going to shut her down. All right. It's a distraction. <laughs> okay, a quarter of the sermon, you can listen to it online. Um, so the, he holds the universe together and expands it by the mighty power of his spoken word. They can actually look back and say, okay, scientists are saying, well, the universe was started in a big bang, and it started like this, and it's been expanding ever since. There's truth to that. I'm not saying they're 100%. But the universe is expanding, and it just shows the goodness of the Father. John fourteen six and seven is another um, scripture. If you're looking to, if you're taking notes, that these things perfectly reveal the Father through Jesus. He's a perfect expression. That's why we say that Jesus Christ is perfect theology. Theology is the knowledge of God. It's who God is. It's the study of who God is. And if we study Jesus. And what he did on earth, if we study all of his attributes, if we study his actions and reactions and his all of, from the time that he was born to the time that he resurrected, we can see the Father. So the third way that we, um, we are going to, we know that the core value of God is good is good is that God is a good father and that we can trust him regardless of our circumstances. Many times we fall into circumstances that we all of a sudden we snap to it and we say, well, I guess God is just not in this or that God doesn't love me. He's not good because if he was, I wouldn't be experiencing this. I wouldn't have this relationship breakdown. I wouldn't be in bankruptcy. I wouldn't be jobless. I wouldn't be this, that, 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 that. And it's just simply a lie that the enemy would come in to speak, um, to speak and to shake our, our very foundation of who the father is. But God is a good father. We can trust him regardless of our circumstances. And Romans 8, 28 to 32 says, we are, we, So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. For we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his design purpose. For he knew all about us before we were born, and he destined us from the beginning to share the likeness of his son. This means the son is the oldest among a vast family of brothers and sisters who will become just like him. Having determined our destiny ahead of time, he called us to himself and transformed his perfect righteousness to everyone he called. And those who possess his perfect righteousness, he co-glorified with his son. So what does this all mean? If God has determined to stand with us, tell me who could ever stand against us. For God has proved his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. And since God freely offered him up as a sacrifice for us, he certainly won't withhold from us anything else he has to give. Wow. I mean, that's powerful just in itself. I mean, Paul had a grasp of who the father was, who the son was, and in his circumstances. And Paul, if you look at the life of Paul, he says, you know, I've, I've been in life, I've, been, I've learned to handle lots, and I've had nothing. I've been whipped, I've been beaten, I've been stoned. And in this, he's like, nothing. 
is going to shake me because I know if God is for me, who's going to be against me? Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith living within us, it would be impossible to please God. For we come to God in faith knowing that he is real and that, his, that he rewards the faith of those who passionately seek him. It's just who he is. Two other scriptures I'm not going to read is James 1, 12 to 18 and Matthew 10, 29 to 31. And, I'm, and there's a lot, and there's a few more actually, but these are what I've, I've recorded. And, and I just want you to know, it's like I'm not taking one verse and pulling it out of context. The Bible is full. And that's the point of giving you all these scriptures is that the Bible is full of truths of to reveal who the father is and his goodness to us. So another area, another aspect of God's goodness and the fact that God is good is that his goodness is extravagant. As we remember and retell what he has done through our testimonies, faith is created that he's able and eager to do it again. That's why we talk about testimonies so much here is because of one person's testimony is actually going to ignite Jesus to do something in your life. That's why when I have people pray for the sick, it's oftentimes it's the very thing that you need. For example, I've prayed for many people for diabetes because I have diabetes, so I want to release a healing because I know that I'm going to be healed. And it's the same thing with the people with cancer. We've had people you know, healed of cancer, pray for those with cancer, and we're seeing change. Right? It's because the, the, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Yeah, that's right. And that's, and that's one of the verses that I've... That's part of this later on. Yeah, it's right here. Revelation 19.10. And at this, I fell face down at the angel's feet to worship him. But he stopped me and said, don't do this, for I'm only a fellow servant with you and one of your brothers and sisters who cling to what Jesus testifies. Worship God. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And that's where we get that is that when we testify, it releases the power for God to do it again, and he's extravagant. You know, I've heard testimonies, like when we started with Bethel, um, with the Bethel Leaders Network last fall, there was um, testimonies of, of God releasing lumps of money. One of the leaders had something on him that God just said, you know, I want you to release $1,000 bills. Was, what does that mean? Pray for people. He says, like, if you are in a financial need, just release the faith to receive. He's like, well, okay. And he, at that point, he was, a, he was a revival group pastor in the Bible school. And so he just, within his own revival group, he just said, Look, Jesus, just, I just released this financial provision of $1,000. Well, within 24 hours, he had five testimonies of students coming to him said, I don't understand it, but $1,000, I, I got $1,000. Somebody sent me $1,000 in the mail, or I received a $1,000 gift certificate for wherever, and, and it was just over and over again. And so wherever Dave goes now, he feels the unction of the Lord. He says the spirit of, you know, this, um, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Prophecy is basically telling what he's doing, and this is the testimony, and I have all these testimonies of financial, you know, release, and so I'm going to release it on you. So when we were at Bethel last fall, last November, we were in a meeting, and Dave was doing this testimony, and he releases this. And we come home the next week, or a few days later, the next week, Deanne's at work, and she she gets an email or something, I can't remember all the details, and she got a bonus of $1,000 
because there was something missed on her previous check, and boom, there it was. Now you're like, oh, well, that's just coincidence. That was just, you know, she was going to get that anyway. Maybe, but no, I would prefer to give the glory and the, and the provision testimony to, to where it came from. We have to stop thinking with our heads and more thinking with our hearts. Thinking with our heads is fine, but we have to filter it through our spirit. And I talked about that last week because we're, I'm not going to recap that. I have a lot to cover. But Romans 10, 15 to 17 talks about the extravagance of God as well. And it's tied into his goodness. Romans 10, 15 to 17. Hebrews 13, 7 and 8. Acts 10, 34 to 48. And then I read Revelations 19, 10. So those are, those are four ways, four areas of how we handle or how we come up with the core value that God is good. Those are the four ways. So what does this mean to me as a believer? What does this mean for my everyday life as a believer, as a member of House of Hope, as part of the family, as part of, part of the kingdom of God? What does that look like? Well, God is for us. He chose to redeem us from our sin. That's something that you can take to the bank all day long. That's something who he is. This is who he is. Romans 8, 31 and 32 says, so what does this all mean? (laughs) If God is determined to stand with us, tell me who then could ever stand against us? For God has proven his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. And since God freely offered him up as a sacrifice for us all, he certainly won't withhold anything else that he has to give. He's for us. God is for us. In his goodness, it translates to us as he is for you. He's for you. And don't ever let the enemy come in and question that. He will. Because the enemy will come in and start to question you and question, do you really believe? It's the same things that he did to Jesus when Jesus was in the wilderness. Did God really say, are you really, if you are, He questions his identity. Your identity in God is that he is for you. And nothing can stand in your way. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, For it is not from man that we draw our life, but from God as we are being joined to Jesus, the anointed one. And now he is our God-given wisdom, our virtue, our holiness, and our redemption. And then there's Romans 5.8 for you to look at. Second way that this influences us and this affects us is for us to come into an understanding that God is not mad at you. God is not mad at you. Yeah, but you don't understand. He must be mad at me because this, 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 and this happened. No, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 says, For God has not destined us to, destined us to experience wrath, but to possess salvation through our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. Second Peter 3.9 says, This means that contrary to man's perspective, now get that this is our perspective, and our perspective is often wrong, because it's a filter that we've used from our past experience, and we are perceiving what could be right. And it's, it's the truth that comes in, and the truth comes in to take off those filters 
And Peter says this means that contrary to man's perspective, the Lord is not late with his promise to return as some measure lateness, but rather his delay simply reveals his loving patience towards you because he does not want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Now, Peter was talking, again, this is not an end times waiting for Jesus to come back. That's not the context that Peter was talking about. Peter was talking in the context of the destruction of the old covenant again. But he's like, people are wondering when, when this is coming to an end. He's like, he's not late. He wants to save everybody. He wants to make sure that everybody that needs to be saved is going to be saved and that they're, they're out. And it's a little bit of a difference from what we've probably been taught. It's not an, it's not an end of the world, end of end times. The kingdom is constantly expanding. But Peter's like, he loves you so much. He's not mad at you. He is, he's waiting for everybody to get the message that the old covenant is ending. There's a new covenant started with Jesus' resurrection. And we're hanging around, get the message. And he's not going to be late. Because when it happens, it's going to happen. And it did happen when Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple was destroyed and all that. Okay? So John 10.10 10 says, The thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness, until you overflow. So if God is mad at us, how can he give us abundantly? He's not mad at us. It's like, well, I've made some mistakes. Mm-hmm. We make mistakes. And that's part of our process. We're not perfect. But we actually are attaining. We're looking forward and say, God, I, I'm so thankful that you're not mad at me. Because you know what? If God was mad at me because some of the things that I've done, if he's mad at me, man, I'm screwed. I really am. But he's not. He's like, man, I love you. You're my son. Let's go hang out, have some fun. And yeah, don't do that again. <laughs> or if you do, you know what? You're learning. And, that's, and that's, his, that's his character. So the third way is, um, for us to walk home with um, or walk into is God's desire for us is to prosper. Sorry. God's desire is to prosper in every area of our lives, physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and vocationally. He wants to prosper you. He is so good at his heart. And his desire is for you to be prosperous in every area. Now, some of us, some of us have a hard time with that. But it's his character. It's who he is. It's the benefits of a new covenant life in Jesus. It's this, Jesus did it, and we reap the incredible rewards of being in a covenant with him. You can read Psalm 103, verses 1 to 5 to, to see that. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 to 10, it says, Yes, God is more than ready to overwhelm you with every form of grace so that you will have more than enough of everything, every moment, and in every way. He will make you overflow with abundance in every good thing you do. Just as the scriptures say about the one who trusts in him, because he has sown extravagantly, sorry, because he has sown extravagantly and given to the poor, his kindness and generous deeds will never be forgotten. This is who he is and who he, what he lavishes on us. Uh, John 1 verse 2 
Jeremiah 29, 11, that's a classic verse. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to, and then we, can, we know it. Because that's who he is. His desire is for us to be prosperous. John, in, I think it's 1 John, um, 1 John 2. I can't remember. It's, you know, it's the classic, you know, I want you to be prosperous in every area of your life. It's one I can never remember. I know it's there. Number four is Jesus is our model to understand the goodness of God. And we talked about the first in the first four sections, but we need to, to realize that Jesus is our model for everything. He healed all the sick he encountered. He never said sickness was from God. In the new covenant, God does not cause sickness to teach us lessons, build character, or to punish people. It's against his nature, against who he is. Matthew 4.23, it says, Jesus ministered from place to place throughout all the province of Galilee. He taught in the synagogues, preaching the hope of the kingdom realm and healing every kind of sickness and disease among the people. And then in Matthew 8, 2 and 3, it says, Suddenly a leper walked up to Jesus and threw himself down before him in worship. And he says, Lord, you have the power to heal me if you really want to. Jesus reached out with his hand and he touched the leper, which caused a stir. And he said, of course, I want to heal you. Be healed. And instantly, all the signs of leprosy disappeared. You know, Jesus caused disruption wherever he went because he was showing off the truth of what the kingdom was. And it was contrary to the beliefs of what the current religious system had. He touched the leper. Because in the old covenant, if you touched a leper, you were unclean. In the new covenant, in the new kingdom, in the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of God, the kingdom that we belong to, we touch the leper and it gets clean. We transfer what we have. We give what we have. And we use Jesus as a model. Acts 10.38 says, Jesus of Nazareth was anointed by God in the Holy Spirit and with great power. He did wonderful things for others and divinely healed all who were under the tyranny of the devil, for God had anointed him. In some versions, this is the Passion Translations. In other versions, um, I like it. It says, and Jesus went around everywhere he went doing good. Everywhere you go, do good. Everything that you do, do good. That's your birthright, because that's what Jesus did. And if you're not doing good, are you following Jesus? That's a harsh, that's a harsh statement. And we can choose to follow Jesus and not just be. Like I said last week, we have a tendency to know about God, know about Jesus, read about Jesus, but to actually participate and act and do the things that Jesus did, sometimes that's a little bit more daunting for us. But it's, it's what we're called to do. Now, when fear comes in, how does the goodness of God anchor us? When fear comes in and you do something wrong, we have to realize that God will never take his purposes or his gifts from your life. There is nothing you can do to screw up so bad that he removes his hand for you from you and said, I'm done. How many times in relationships have we, have we encountered this where over and over again we, we, we face times that we just think in our hearts, man, I, I'm done with this relationship. I, I'm just, 
You know, I'm going to, I'm withdrawing my support. You know, if, if it's cash, you know, you come along, come across a ministry that you've been giving to for years. I remember in the, I think it was in the 80s when, uh, what was his name that fell, was one of the first preachers that, to fall big time. Um, hmm? Swaggart, that's the one, Jimmy Swaggart. People were giving millions of dollars, and he got caught, his hand in the, in the cookie jar, so to speak. And the giving stopped. Now, should the giving have stopped? I, not, that's not the point. But the giving stopped. People just said, I'm done. You know, there's been people that I've been more acquainted with that fall under some sort of scrutiny, and all of a sudden, it's like all of the relationships are cut off, and they're shunned. Not really what Jesus did. Now, I'm not, that's as far as I'm going to go with that. But Romans 11.29 says, And God, and when God chooses someone, he graciously imparts gifts to him, and they are never rescinded. The same verse in another translation says, The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Once you have them, you're, they're yours. You have a gift of healing, it's yours. You can stop following Jesus and, start, and still heal. It doesn't make sense. Because that's how good he is. The goodness of God doesn't make sense sometimes to us. That's where I believe that we have a lot of, a lot of these gifts that are out floating around and people aren't necessarily following Jesus. They don't even know who Jesus is because that they've actually been imparted with some of the, these gifts. You know, you, you hear about healings, you know, um, what's it called? Um, Reiki, I think, Reiki, Reiki. You know, and it's like, it's not, it's a, it's a gift that it works but it's not actually pointing to Jesus, right? And it's like, if you, if, you took that, if you took that gift and actually submitted it under the, the lordship of Christ, wow, wow. But the church is, we've, we've backed away from the supernatural, like, well, God doesn't heal anymore. Well, that person got healed while well, he's of the devil. The devil does not into healing. He's, John 10.10, like I said, he's come to kill, steal, and destroy. So how do we balance that? The gifts and calling our God are irrevocable. He has called us. He has destined us to do great things. And we just have to submit that to him. Ephesians 1, 4 to 6 says, And he chose us to be his very own, joining us to himself, even before he laid the foundation of the universe. Because of his great love, he's ordained us so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes with an unstained innocence. For it was always in his perfect plan to adopt us in his delightful, as his delightful children through our union with Jesus, the anointed one, so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace for the same love he is for the same love he has for his beloved one Jesus he has for us. <clears throat> Excuse me. And this unfolding plan brings him great pleasure. These are the these are the these are the like the massive points of wisdom and good nuggets that that are found here that we can see that, that there's no reason to question now the goodness of God in our lives because it's 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 plain 
It's written plain for us to grasp onto that God is for us, not against us. That he's never going to leave us. He's never going to remove gifts. He's never going to remove calling. We are God's masterpieces. His process and his pruning are always meant to reveal our true identity and release us into the fullness of his life or the fullness of life. Ephesians 2.10 says we've become his poetry. In the Greek, it's poema. We have become his poetry. He sits there and he looks at you. He's like, oh, this is amazing. That person is amazing. Hannah, you're amazing. Georgina, you're amazing. You're his poem. He recreated people that would fulfill the destiny that he has given each of us. For we are joined with Jesus, the anointed one. Even before we were bored, born, not bored, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works that we would do to fulfill it. Psalm 139, 13 to 17. John 15, 1 and 2. Hebrews 12, 15 to, or 5 to 15. I was going to read that, but we're running out of time. Read that one. If you're going to read anything, read Hebrews 12, 5 to 15. Because it's like, it, it just captures, the author just captures who we are as God's masterpieces. And finally, in this, in this section of how this affects us, who we are, is that God always hears. He always hears, and he always responds to our prayers. He's like, well... I have a long list of things that I've asked for that he has not responded to. Yep. Me too. But does that mean that he doesn't respond? James 1.5 says, If anyone longs to be wise, ask God for wisdom and he will give it. He won't see your lack of wisdom as an opportunity to scold you over your failures, but he will overwhelm your failures with his generous grace. <clears throat> Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask, and the gift is yours. Seek, and you'll discover. Knock, and the door will be open to you. John 15, 7. But if you live a life... But you live... Try this again. But if you live in life union with me, and my words live powerfully within you, then you can ask whatever you desire and it'll be done. See, this, is, this is where we get a breakdown. Is like, well, I've prayed. I asked for God for that brand new Mercedes and I'm still winning it. I'm still... I'm like, well, you know what? Did you read the first part of the verse? Are you living in a life union with Jesus? And it is, is his words living powerfully within you? Because as soon as you do that, your mind, will, and emotions actually line up with his. And you're partnering. It's called co-laboring with Jesus. And so you may ask for that Mercedes as long as it's actually lined up for what Jesus is doing. Because there's a whole lot of people driving those kind of cars around. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's not about the stuff. It's not about, well, being greedy and ask, well, I asked in his name. It, it requires relationship. It requires us to be walking together, knowing the will of the Father, knowing the will of Jesus, knowing and being powerful at the same time. And going, you know, I, I saw this person needs healing. Jesus, what do you think? Yep. 
And even gets to the point where, like what Smith Wigglesworth said, if I don't see God doing something, if I don't see God moving, I will move him so he moves. It sounds like the point of arrogance. But he would do it. He would go into a room. He would go into a church that was dead. And he was so in tune to what the Father was saying that he just commanded and he declared and he prayed for the sick and he raised the dead, that God was just like, man, he's my son. And he just, things started to happen. And he had the fruit of his ministry to back him up to what, you know, he's like saying, well, that's not of God. Well, he, he did. He did it. He moved. God moved. Is God not, if God's not moving, I'm going to move him to move. All right. Second <clears throat> Corinthians one twenty. if you're taking notes, that's another final verse. All right. So the last three points. Are we good? Okay. These are areas not to misunderstand what I've been saying. Okay? So do not misunderstand me. The life of the believer is not free of trials and persecution. I've heard over and over again, People say, I've come to Jesus, and my life is worse than when I was not believing in Jesus. <clears throat> it's because they were taught that if you come to Jesus, it's a, it's a way to get people into the church. If you come to Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, your life will be butterflies and unicorns. You know, unicorn, it's all good. No. <clears throat> Second Timothy 3.12 says, For all who choose to live godly as worshipers of Jesus, the anointed one, will also experience persecution. And we, as a Canadian people, don't know what persecution is. Just saying that. We've, expi- we've, we've experienced job loss. We've experienced people in the workplace going, you're a Christian? That's not persecution. Really, it's not. It's just an inconvenience. People are being jerks. And you're like, yeah, I'm a Christian. Or it can get worse. But it's not true persecution. True persecution is you talk to somebody from the underground church in China or Iraq or who's suffered under the, the realm of ISIS. Christians who, like, there's, there's greater and lesser degrees. But here in Canada, our persecution is limited. But it doesn't negate our experience. It's just going to happen. John, 30, or John 16, 36, John 16, 33. And everything I've taught you is this. So this is Jesus speaking. And everything I've taught you is so that, that the peace which is in me will be in you and will give you a great confidence as you rest in me. For in this unbelieving world, you will experience trouble and sorrows. So Jesus is lifting everybody up. Like, yep. Yeah. You're going to experience troubles and sorrows, but you must be courageous, for I've conquered the world. Knowing that. Oh, my job isn't going well. My boss hates me. My job sucks. My bank account is empty because I don't work. Uh, Whatever. Be in Christ. It's just anchored, be anchored in who he is. Philippians 3.10, Paul says, 
And I continually long to know the wonders of Jesus more fully and to experience the overflowing power of his resurrection working in me. I will be one with him, with him in his sufferings, and I will be one with him in his death. And in that same, in that same area of scripture, Paul says, I've learned to live, I've, I've learned to live with lots, and I've learned to live with nothing, and I'm content. It's because our circumstances, I keep grabbing this, hoping to get a drink, but I can't shut up. Um, our circumstances don't dictate our faith in him. Our circumstances don't change who he is in our life just because the circumstances do. So here's the next one. Every believer is responsible for stewarding and growing the gifts and the talents that God has given us. Oh, no. Just because God is good and he's in his gifts. <clears throat> no, I do have to have a drink. <clears throat> just because gifts, the gifts and the calling of God are, are, are without fail. You know, we still have a, we have a duty. We have the responsibility to develop what he's given us. Somebody comes up to you and says, I see the gift of healing on you. And you're like, that's amazing. And you never pray for the sick. You can't say to God, well, I guess I didn't get it. Because you didn't use it. You didn't develop it. The gift is in you. <clears throat> in Matthew 25, 14 to 30, Jesus talks about financial stewardship. It's like, I'm going to give you some money, and what you do with it to develop more is totally up to you. It was a picture of actually developing what he's given you. 2 Timothy 1-6 to says, I'm writing to encourage you to fan into flame and rekindle the fire of spiritual gift. Um, rekindle the fire of the spiritual gift God imparted to you when I laid hands upon you. There's a sense of fan into flame. You want to be a singer? Sing. You want to be a healer? Heal. If you want to be a financial wizard, be a financial wizard. If that's your gift, use it, develop it, learn it. When I first, I've talked about this before. When I first started cooking, I, I didn't know. I was crap. It was crap. I was three years old. I remember. I really do. Opening up my mom's cupboard, grabbing a little bit of this, a little bit of this, pouring it all together, probably making a mess. I remember this oatmeal thing that was just, you know, and mom was just there. And she's like... Well, I don't remember her ever scolding me for doing it. I'm sure she did. And then I remember making pancakes for the first time, five years old. I remember sitting, standing in the kitchen, <clears throat> forgetting to put baking powder in the pancake mix. Cooking them, flipping them, serving them, and they were little rubber cakes, right? And you're like, well, that's stupid. You should have known. I was five. Now I can whip up a meal. I'm 48. I can pretty much make anything because I have the tools. I have, I've developed that gift. Spiritually, I can pray for the sick and I can see people healed because I pray for the sick and I see thousands, or not thousands, but I see hundreds of people not healed, but I don't give up and I develop that gift. So fan into flame the gift. That's because God is good. That's how it affects you. He is so good that he wants you to, to be developing more and more. You're, you're working out your salvation with fear and trembling. You're going from glory to glory. It's who you should be. <clears throat> Philippians 3.12 says, I admit 
that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I am pursuing, but I run with passion into his abundance so that I may reach the purpose that Jesus Christ has called me to fulfill and he wants me to discover. I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do have one compelling focus. I forget all of the past as I fasten my heart to the future instead. I run straight for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly gold and goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. Press on. I, I forget. We have a tendency to live in our past. And we thought, well, I failed once, so I'm going to fail forever. Our past does not dictate what our future or our present is. We have to focus on the future and develop and move forward. Yeah, I, I messed up. But he's forgiven me. That's the, big, that's the biggest thing about forgiveness is that he's, he's let us go. We are free. I posted something on Facebook this morning. It says, Christianity should be not marked by my chains are gone, not by will I make a mistake. It's his heart for us to run and to be, and to be great, to do great things and just be great. And the final area that I don't want you to misunderstand is, is in his goodness, God doesn't always respond to our prayers in the way or the timing we expect. Second Peter 3, 8, 3, 8 and 9 says, So dear friends, don't let this one thing escape your notice. A single day counts like a thousand years to the Lord Yahweh. And a thousand years counts as one day. So this means that contrary to man's perspective, Peter had a lot of words and he loved the perspective. Contrary to man's perspective, the Lord is not late with his promise to return. I read this earlier as some measure lateness, but rather his delay simply reveals his loving patience towards you because he does not want any to perish, but all to come into repentance. I think it was... I'm just trying to remember who it was. It was either D.L. Moody or George Mueller. I, honestly, I can't remember. He was a great man of, of prayer. And, and it could be counted... I think it was George Mueller. It could be counted that every prayer that George Mueller prayed came into being, came into fruition, except one, and that was the salvation of his son. So he prayed, and he prayed, and he would see things. He would see nations turn. He would see cities turn. He would see people get healed, set free, delivered. He would see, he's seen it all. And he's like, I prayed, but the only one, the one thing that I have not seen happen is my son come to salvation. And so George Mueller had died. And on his funeral, in his funeral service, his son, and I'm probably embellishing the facts a little bit, but his son comes running down the aisle and gave his heart to Christ because he knew that my dad prayed every day of his life for me. And so he could say that for 100%, George Mueller's prayers were effective and answered, all in God's timing. Luke 18, 1 to 8, Jesus gives us a parable about prayer. And it's not the Lord's Prayer. It's another parable. I want you to read that to show that it's, it happens in his perfect timing. He listens to the hearts of his kids. How many of us, as, as parents, our kids come to us and say, Dad, I want this. Dad, I want this. I am desperate for this. 
and you go, I can't do that right now because it probably will hurt you. Or it's going to be an incredible inconvenience to me as a parent, but we'll see. That's just a natural parent's response. Our natural response usually to our kids is no, because we're getting pestered. So we just say no, and then we get pestered more. And that's a biblical principle right there too. We keep pestering and asking, but dad, but dad, but dad. He says, finally, yes, but wait. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing. Be saturated in prayer throughout each day, offering your faith-filled requests before God with overflowing gratitude. Tell him every detail of your life. Then God's wonderful peace that transcends human understanding will make the answers known to you through Jesus Christ. He wants to hear from you. He wants you to, to, to beseech him. He wants you to... to um, to come to him and tell every aspect of your day. That's what he desires. But the answer sometimes is wait. And the answer sometimes is no. It just, it's just how it is. But that doesn't change the fact that God is good. Does that make sense? All right. I'm done. Crash the plane. Sorry, it's a little bit later this morning. But I just wanted us to, to, to dig into the word, to dig into scriptures and say, okay, this, how is this, how is God good scriptural? And for those of you who are, are joining House of Hope in the last six months, year, whatever, this is kind of, this is, this is key to us. This is key no, no matter what happens in our circumstances, we stand and we say that God is good. We may not understand the circumstances, but we're not called to understand the circumstances. We're called to be in Christ. So let's stand. And we'll close in prayer. So, Father, you are good. And your word is true. And your heart for us is amazing. And we say yes to you this morning. Amen for listening to our Sermon of the Week. Our desire is that you will be changed by the love of the Father and the power of his presence. For more information about House of Hope, visit us at www.ihope.today.